Hello and welcome to this edition of The Screen Podcast, which is the podcast for the global screen business publication, Screen International. I'm Matt Mueller, Screen's editor, and for this episode, we're going to be diving into the international feature film category for the Academy Awards and looking at some of the 93 films that have been submitted so far by countries around the world. After that discussion, we have an interview with Paolo Sorrentino, whose latest film, The Hand of God, has been selected by Italy as its Oscar submission. I spoke to Paolo when he was in London for the BFI London Film Festival. But first, joining me for today's podcast are my illustrious colleagues, Fanula Halligan, Screen's Chief Film Critic and Reviews Editor, and Screen's Awards and Box Office Editor, Charles Gant. Welcome, Finn and Charles. So this year, we have 93 countries that have submitted films for the international feature category, including Somalia, which has entered for the first time ever with the Gravedigger's wife. The 93 submissions equals the record number achieved in the last two years. Last year, there were 97 entries, but it ended up at 93 after the Academy's review process disqualified some titles. And the year before that, one entry was also disqualified, which was Nigeria's for going beyond the threshold of English language dialogue that Academy rules allow. So we may see some dropouts, but for now we have 93. We've also had a number of late arrivals this year. Films entered after the official November 1st deadline, including the South African entry Barakat, the UK entry Dying to Divorce, which is a documentary looking at domestic violence in Turkey, and China's entry, which is Zhang Yimou's spy thriller Cliffwalkers. So Finn and Charles, tell me about any initial impressions you have of the overall list of submissions at this stage. There's obviously already some very high profile titles on this list. Well, Matt, I'd say that it's been interesting from a European perspective, you know, it's two of the bigger, obviously you have some countries that tend to dominate in terms of the nominations. I mean, any country can win, but some countries tend to get more nominations than others in France, Spain, Italy being Germany, being the the powerhouses amongst them. If you look at Spain this year, you have The Good Boss has been nominated, uh, starring Javier Bardem in a very strong performance, but that was at the expense of Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers with a sort of great performance from his wife, Penelope Cruz. So you have that going on in Spain. And then in France, you had uh, Titan, the sort of provocative winner of the Palme d'Or up against Happening, the provocative winner of the Golden Lion at Venice, both for incredibly different reasons. And Titan winning out on that. It's a very difficult film for the Academy to to chew on, shall we say. And then um, down in Italy, you have uh, Paolo Sorrentino. It's just, you know, well, we'll hear from him later, but fantastic film that's from Netflix and then Austria, The Great Freedom, which could also have been a German film. So um, the powerhouses of the the engine of that section of the Academy has been very interesting to watch as it comes to this point. Would you agree, Charles? I would totally agree. And I would say, I mean, Europe has got sort of, I think if the UK is approved 41 of the submissions, which is, you know, not quite half, but it's also got, as Finn says, many of the leading contenders. Europe, if you look at last year, of the 15 films that were shortlisted for the Academy Award, seven were from Europe and three of those were nominated, including the winner, another round. So Europe, you know, does dominate this category. We'll see how the shortlist shakes out, but I think Europe will also dominate. Scandinavia has got some strong contenders. Denmark has got the animated documentary Flea, which is a triple threat this year. So for animation, documentary and in the international feature film, sort of a very moving story about a refugee kind of unburdening himself about his past 
as he's about to get married. And I think Norway has got a very strong contender in the Joachim Trier film, The Worst Person in the World, with a you know incredible performance from, uh, am I saying this name correct? Is it Renato Reinsvey? That sounds good to me, Charles. Um, and I think all of those films that, that Finn mentioned. And I'd just like to comment on France. I saw Titane recently, but I also saw Happening recently with a film that won the Golden Lion. And I do wonder whether Happening would appeal more to the Academy voters. It's, I think it's a very strong, human, accessible film. It really stands for something. It's based on a memoir about a young woman who has an abortion. And clearly some people won't embrace that storyline. But I do think that Titania, you know, it's such a provocative film. It's going to be quite a divisive film. And in America at the moment, you know, what's going on with reproductive rights, I do feel that people would have really rallied behind happening if it had been selected by France. Finn, what do you think? Yes, I think I think I agree with you, Charles. This is, but it's very difficult for the selectors, isn't it? You know, you've got you've got the Cannes winner versus the Venice winner, and Titan is a punkish kind of explosion of modern issues. There's a, there's a lot in there to unpack, but it's not as meaningful, I agree, as happening, which tells a story that has relevance across the ages, and particularly now, and particularly in the United States, where the Academy Awards will be taking place. But that's a difficulty for all the individual countries making their nominations and you you can end up being surprised sometimes at the choices that are made and then there are some that are spoiled for choice for example Spain as I mentioned with Parallel Mothers and The Good Boss or Norway which also has The Innocent or say for example Brazil which didn't put forward Seven Prisoners which was a film I think you and I both love Charles and and then you you go to China which at the last minute nominated a Zhang Yimou film which is actually less likely to appeal than the other Jiang Yimou film, which was called One Second, he made two within our release two within the space of about a year. One had been delayed. Uh, one Second just seemed tailor made for the Academy, but they've gone with the other one. So it's um, interesting to look at what is actually there because they're the only ones that can win and then wonder sometimes about the selection process or wonder, you know, in some years it's so unfair that a country can't nominate two. And, you know, I also think in the case of France, it's probably worth noting that. Titan is distributed in the US by Neon, which of course is the company that guided Parasite to not only the sort of international feature Oscar win, but also to a number of different Oscars across different categories. That was an incredible campaign by them. And Happening has IFC Films behind it, which is also a very canny, you know, distributor in the US. So it does releases a lot of foreign language titles and it has had a lot of success doing that. But it was interesting to see the French committee go for Titan, because I think many of us thought it would go for happening for the reasons that you mentioned, Charles. And I wonder how much the neon factor perhaps played into the ultimate decision by the French committee, thinking that that is a company that has just very recently done what it needed to to win the award. Obviously, with an amazing film. I mean, Parasite, we would all sort of probably agree, is, is an absolutely fantastic film and certainly much less divisive than Titan. I think it's worth adding, of course, that for all the BAFTA voters listening to this, happening is competing at the BAFTAs. Picture House Entertainment are releasing it in the UK in time for the ceremony. And Parallel Mothers, of course, will be eligible at the BAFTAs. So some of these films that we're mentioning as being overlooked will feature in other awards. But I think it's interesting as well, Matt and Charles, that, you know, the Academy has gone and presented a completely different face of French cinema to audiences in the US. So whether or not the film actually wins, it's a less classic 
confrontational, here we are, this is France 2021, this is our cinema now. And I think that's, in a way, that's also part of the reasoning, I imagine, why it, it won it can as well. You know, we're breaking out, this is it, look at us. You know, whether we win or not is immaterial, maybe. And I wonder whether after last year they submitted two of us, which is a very warm, very human, very accessible film. I personally loved it. Maybe my taste is slightly small C conservative. It got on the shortlist, didn't get nominated. Yes. And also uh, going back to US distribution, I mean, that's not the be all and end all because we saw the Tunisian entry, the man who sold his skin last year, make it all the way to the final shortlist without a US distributor until, you know, very late in the day, Samuel Goldwyn Films came on board. But interesting that Parallel Mothers, the, the Almodovar film, had Sony Pictures Classics behind it, another company that's very used to distributing and winning foreign language film Oscars. And The Good Boss, again, you know, only very late in the day did uh, Cohen Media Group come on board that in a, in a late deal. So that's only been announced within the last sort of few weeks. So interesting for the Spanish committee to overlook Almodovar film. I mean, they have submitted a number of his titles in the past. So, you know, certainly he's he's a very popular and a filmmaker who has done well in that category for them. But I don't know whether you think, Finn, there's something about the storyline of Parallel Mothers that maybe the <laughs> Spanish committee didn't think would resonate as well as a kind of more commercial, I suppose, film like The Good Boss. Well, that's an interesting point. Who knows? One would be very hesitant to say anything about that. Um, I was also going to add that Quo Vetus Ida last year came out of a Venice competition slot, not winning any prizes at Venice, and made the shortlist without a US distributor till the very last minute as well. Yes, I mean, Parallel Mothers, which I happen to think is one of Pedro Almodovar's better works of late, it deals with a very problematic issue in Spanish politics, which of course is the Pacto de Olvido, which is the deal of forgetting that was instituted in the country after the uh, Franco died, and the exhumation of mass graves. So it does that in a kind of classic Almodovar scenario with a mix up at a hospital with babies. So hard, hard to describe unless you've seen it. I would really recommend it. So that's a touchy subject in Spain. And I don't know if that would have played in. I was personally surprised while liking The Good Boss, which is a very kind of left wing sort of type of maybe Ken Loach with a bit of comedy sort of social issues film and you know and and Javier Bardem is excellent in it but it's quite soft and quite long running time whereas yes it was a surprise so I don't know I wouldn't want to name names or point fingers at that but yes that's the issue when countries nominate their own films you know yeah absolutely what are what are some of the other films that leap out to you that you've both seen that you think could go far in the competition this year so what we have obviously is we have the official deadline has closed although of course we will get some late stragglers and then of course the academy will review all the films to make sure none of them cross the you know too much english language threshold that is the stumbling block for some titles and then we get the 15 finalists announced on december 21st and then of course the final five nominations with the rest of the oscar nominations on february 8th so looking i guess at that first list what other titles do you think uh, are going to perform strongly i'll jump in first because i know finn has seen way more films than i have and we'll have lots of things to say but i really liked the asga fahadi film a hero and he, of course, won the Oscar for international feature film or foreign language film, as it was then known for both a separation and the salesman. And I think this film, which is about a man who has a 48 hour exit from prison, which he uses rushing against the clock to try and sort out 
a dispute that he had with um, someone who lent him some money, which is the reason he's in prison. I found it very compelling. I thought it was classic for Hardy. And I think that from the Middle East region, that's surely got to be the strongest contender. Well, yes, I've seen quite a lot, it's true, but not all, because <laughs> I'm still a work in progress. I have to say, you know, you watch Sorrentino as the hand of God and you have high expectations for a Sorrentino film and it more than delivers it's a very special piece of work. So sometimes when you see films like that, you get excited by other films you see later and you forget that that The Hand of God is an, is an excellent, excellent film. So I would be pleased to see that win. But I also love Great Freedom, the Sebastian Meisel film that was paid in, in um, Uncertain Regard, in a very revitalized Uncertain Regard at Cannes this year. Didn't win any of the prizes, but it's been, really been winning hearts and minds ever since. And we have, you know, from Morocco too, I like Casablanca Beats. The Gravedigger's Wife from Somalia is, is really terrific. I mean, there's a lot, to unpack in this list. Flea, as you mentioned before, Suad from Egypt. That's a film that got a can label and has had a sort of very delayed small release, but has the nomination now. Yeah, it's hard to say, but there's a lot of great stuff in there to, to unpack. It's, it's a good year. It's always a good year. World cinema is so amazing. So, you know, to have a list like this, even though there may be omissions and puzzles as to what went where and who didn't nominate what it's still lots of riches to unpack what about asia though finn because drive my car seems to i would have thought would be a strong contender the japanese film by reisuki hamaguchi but i know that you're you're also a big fan of um escape from mogadishu which is the <sighs> south korean big box office hit what do you think about the asian contenders that is so much fun, Escape from Mogadishu. Um, it's not the kind of film that normally wins the uh, award for best foreign film, but, you know, our international feature, but it's an action adventure set in Somalia. It is um, really, really good fun. And, and I'm glad that's got the nomination because sometimes you see a lot of films in these selections that are deemed of being incredibly worthy and you don't get that much fun. So that might break out, you know, Yes, Drive My Car, also Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. This director spoiled us for choice this year from the same man. We've got Memoria, which is coming at us from a different direction, a Thai director, you know, and a South American film. So, yes, I mean, Korea should, I mean, possibly could, if the Academy is willing to think about an action film in this. Korea and Japan are looking strong. You're right, Charles. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Escape from Mogadishu is distributed in the US by Wellgo. And I know the filmmaking team is actually on its way to LA now to start campaigning. So, you know, having been again, like a, a late announcement, maybe they're feeling positive about their hopes. And, you know, Asia has been successful in recent years. So Better Days from Hong Kong by Derek Tsang was actually on the final shortlist last year. Of course, Parasite swept the board in 2019. The year before that, Hirokazu Koreeda's Shoplifters made the final shortlist. So they, they have been doing well in recent years. And I think Drive My Car, uh, one of again, one of two Hamaguchi films this year, certainly feels like a, a popular film at the moment. And we can hopefully sort of see whether like a smallish US distributor, Janus Films, can go up against the likes of Neon and Sony Pictures Classics and A24 with Lamb, all these big US kind of, you know, companies which are very shrewd with their marketing campaigns and, and can really kind of help guide films to nominations. Again, you know, a good US distributor is not the only factor that plays into this. Of course, you know, it's up to the voters ultimately to pick the films that they want to go with. Um, so any other films that you want to highlight? I mean, there's 
there are kind of there's some interesting films that you know that have caught attention earlier in the year obviously for instance bad luck banging or loony porn from romania which won the berlin golden bear in february which magnolia has in the us i don't know what you guys think i mean i would be surprised if that progressed maybe it would make the 15 strong shortlist but not sort of seeing that one making the the journey all the way We've mentioned some of the strongest contenders of so Flea, Charles, you mentioned from Denmark, the animated film, which of course will also be, you know, competing in documentary and animation categories as well. That seems to have a lot of love for it. Titan, we've talked about the worst person in the world, which is the Norwegian entry. Uh, we also think there could even be a play for the actress, right? Potentially, if she, mm -hmm. if there's a chance for her to break out of just that category. Lamb, of course, has Numi Rapace in it, and that's the Icelandic entry. Uh, have either of you seen that? I have indeed. I have and enjoyed it. It's sort of left a field. You know, Numi gives it a certain amount of attention. It's a debut as far as I know. It's uh, definitely worth, worth seeing. I figure that it's got every chance of appearing in the long list anyway. And there's another one I wanted to highlight as being unusual and very interesting, which of course is the Israeli uh, nomination, Let It Be Morning, which is directed by Aaron Colerin. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. And it deals with the plight of Israel's Arab population. It's He's an Israeli director and it, it premiered at Cannes. There was a bit of controversy around it because the mainly Palestinian cast didn't travel in order to draw attention to the plight of the Palestinian people. And so Israel has put this forward as its nomination and Aaron Colerin is, um, you know, the band's visit was his film, which I believe had a nomination so that there's a potential for that to certainly be of interest for people to watch you know you just need to to get them watched don't you Charles I mean you mm -hmm. need to attract the academy to watching them because obviously the people on these committees who volunteer to see them there's a lot of titles in there so you need to draw attention and whatever it is that you have that can draw people in you know that's what'll get it seen well, I, I think that the American Academy have a good system where if you're on the committee, you get assigned certain numbers of films. So they really do encourage, you know, make sure that there's a spread of people watching. There's one film that I didn't mention when I was talking about Scandinavia. And I think I, we should mention the Finnish film, Compartment Number no. 6, oh, yes. which I think is a very, very strong contender. And I noticed it was one of the five international films, which, by the way, includes films from America nominated at the British Independent Film Awards. So, you know, they're picking literally five films from across the world that are not from the UK, including things like Kelly Reichardt's First Cow, for example. So, you know, I think the fact that it won through one of those five nominations really speaks to the quality of that film, which I think is very strong. And also you have Playground from Belgium as well, which is a another uncertain regard film to child actors. It's quite small, like they are, set inside a, a playground about bullying and who's the bully. It's a, it's a really brilliant piece of work in the same way that small things can come forward sometimes, you know, once seen and never forgotten. Yeah. And the UK entry, interestingly enough, is also up for a British Independent Film Award for Best Documentary Feature, the uh, documentary Dying to Divorce, which we which I mentioned earlier about domestic violence in Turkey. That's, a again, a very late entry. I was interested to see when that Dying to Divorce was submitted for the UK because Really this year, apart from the Danish film Flea, which is excellent and a strong contender, I wasn't feeling that documentaries were so strongly in the mix. Last year, there were quite a few of them were submitted by their countries. The Romanian Film Collective obviously achieved a nomination. 
um, from Chile, the mole agent was on the shortlist. So apart from Flea, I, I felt that documentaries were not such a powerful element this year. Maybe the UK submission will change that story. That's interesting you say that, Charles, because, you know, documentary submissions in the foreign language and the international film category are sort of unusual because it goes back to what we talked about earlier about when a country submits its own film, you know, and documentaries aren't always nice films about what's happened in the country you know so if you look at things like the, the white helmets or, or films like that that have, have made it big it's not been in this category because they come through in the documentary section if they are critical about the film and and flea is about an afghan refugee but it hasn't been submitted obviously by afghanistan so you have this kind of dichotomy or you know issue within the documentary front so we may yet see that come through I'm thinking particularly of Sergei Loznitsa you may see this come through in the documentary section though I would agree with you that the documentary at the moment from what I'm seeing seems to be a lot stronger at the moment the U.S. is having a really brilliant year with documentaries but we'll see what happens when it comes to that we can have another podcast about that. So I don't know if you both agree, but I would say that this year's race feels more open than most. Of course, you have your high profile contenders, which we've talked about, but in a way that another round came early and felt very early on, like it was going to be the eventual winner. And then Parasite the year before that, Son of Soul the year it came out. There are years where it feels like the winner we know, you feel like you can predict quite early on. I would say this year, we don't have that. This feels like a much more open race could go in many different directions. Do you both agree with that? I actually, it goes back to what I said earlier on in that you see the hand of God earlier and then you forget about how great it is. So, you know, from my point of view, when you mentioned those films that you've just seen, for me, the hand of God is probably that film this year. If I was going to get the same odds on any film, I would definitely put my money on the hand of God as the film most likely to win. But I do wonder whether compared to another round last year, which really did seem to just lead from the front and Quo Vardis Aida sort of came upon the rails, but just ultimately did not overtake it. I wonder whether Hand of God is as far out in front right now as another round was at the same time last year. And also they're going to be pushing the Hand of God hard in other categories as well, beyond international feature. I think they're hoping to get traction, obviously, mm-hmm. director, screenwriter, possibly even who knows, the actor, the young, you know, the young boy who plays the lead. I think Netflix obviously has ambitions for that film beyond international feature, but certainly that was the case with Parasite as well mm-hmm. the year before mm-hmm. that, where it did get the international feature win, but also other categories too. And I think that helps the hand of God as well. The fact that it's a play in lots of different categories and it means that, you know, certainly you know, if you're a director and you, you'll be watching that film for the, your director chapter vote, if you're a screenwriter, ditto. So everybody will be watching that film, not just the people who are paying attention to this category. And we have to think as well and remember that it's um, a film about a filmmaker <laughs> always plays well. I mean, when, they, when they're boring, they're, you know, and indulgent, they're bad. But when they're brilliant... <laughs> They really have undeniable appeal to an academy or academies full of filmmakers. Well, and this one is brilliant, as we all agree. And I think now is a good time to wrap up and we can hear from Paolo himself talking about the hand of God. But Finn and Charles, thank you very much. Uh, It's been great talking to you today about the international feature category. We will have to revisit later in award season when we get our 15 strong shortlist and see the sort of shocks and surprises that come up then. But for now, thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And now, as I mentioned earlier, I recently spoke to the Italian filmmaker Paolo Sorrentino about his latest film, The Hand of God. 
His autobiographical and highly personal account of a pivotal time in his life growing up in Naples. The Netflix production is full of humor and heart, as well as being incredibly moving in its depiction of living in an eccentric household and a tragic event that went on to shape Paolo's life. Paolo spoke to us during the London Film Festival at the Corinthia Hotel. So, um, well, look, first of all, many congratulations to the film, which I thought was Thank you very fantastic, much. very, uh, very sort of moving and funny and intimate and such a, such a wonderful film. And welcome to the Screen Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So I wanted to start by asking you about the fact that The Hand of God is obviously a very personal film for you. And as well as being kind of full of humor and warm-hearted reminiscences, it also delves into some very painful memories too. Was there a catalyst in terms of deciding that now was the right time to tell this story? And was it very difficult to write the script when you came down to, to do that? It was hard to write the movie. When I uh, wrote the script, um, I was very, yes, very painful because it's not easy to write about uh, your own uh, pain and to put in order all this pain. But at the same time, I was always very amused by the first part of the script where the things are joyful and uh, full of life. It was, uh, yes, it was hard, but at the same time, it was something that uh, I tried to do for many years, so probably in an unconscious way, it was something that I was looking for to do. It was uh, easier to shoot the movie because uh, the quotidianity, the, the practical reasons of a movie brought me far from the pain from my life. And so, and then we shoot in during the summer uh, in a COVID free moment. Uh, so we were happy to go back to the life. Uh, it was the summer, there was the sea, there was uh, the beautiful places of Italy. And we were very happy to shoot the movie in that moment. Yeah. So you mentioned that it, it was something that you had tried to write previously, or you'd sort of thought about for a number of years. Was there a particular catalyst that felt like now was the right time to tell the story or why you decided you could, you could the right time maybe was now because uh, now uh, last year when i did the movie i was 50 years old and i gave a great uh, meaning to the fact that i was a 50 years old i decided that it was the moment to see back uh, instead of to see the future like i did with other movies yeah 50 years old is an important moment. Yeah. Yes, I know that. <laughs> so in terms of it, the story being autobiographical and about, I guess, obviously a very pivotal moment in your life, I mean, would you say that what's depicted on screen is only very, very loosely connected to your own life or is it full of very specific moments that you recall, you know, happening in your life? Is it? No, movies is almost completely autobiographical. Yeah, most of the things are true and um, Sometimes when the things are not true for dramaturgical reasons, uh, but uh, the feelings are always uh, authentic. And so, no, but mostly, mostly the movie follows surreal uh, things of my life. Yeah. And is that the same with the characters as well? Those are, those are all real people in your Yes, life yes, mostly yes. Some characters are a little bit different because they are a sort of compendium of different characters I met in my life and I put together in one person, yeah. Oh, okay. Are there any characters you can tell me that that's the like who who in the film is a compendium of more than uh, the, the Patrizia, the hound, is... Uh, in part is my aunt, in part is uh, 
woman, uh, women that uh, I loved, uh, that I taught to love when I was young. So it was a, she was a mix. She was uh, a dream of many dreams I ever done in my life. Yeah. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of beautiful details in the film. I think one of the the things that I really loved was the was the mother's love of playing pranks. I mean, that sort of really generated some very funny moments in the film. I mean, you know, the, the sort of call to the neighbor where she's offering mm. her role as Maria Callas in Franco Zeffirelli's film. Again, is that a, is that a re- is, is it completely a- real? My mom uh, loved to do that kind of things. Mm. Not only my mom. It, we are speaking uh, about a movie set in the eighties uh, and uh, the way to make fun for the people was uh, more naive, simple, genuine. And uh, in that kind of uh, culture, uh, there was also a big uh, room, a big space for the pranks. Are you a person who likes to play pranks as well? No, I am not so good. No, no, because my mother was the queen of the pranks. And so I am a little bit uh, shy about that. I mean, obviously, when you made this film, did you do anything differently with this project in terms of how you approached other projects? You know, either in terms of writing the script or the shoot. I think, you know, for instance, I know you like to listen to music while you're writing your scripts. Or is it was it very, very similar? Kind of- no, for me, the approach was uh, completely the opposite of the other movies I did. Because uh, for the other movies, I started uh, often from the mise-en-scene, the aesthetic, uh, from the research of... Uh, the music of some specific things that brought me to write the movie. In this case, it was exactly the opposite. I, I was not looking for uh, the music, for a misascene. Uh, I simply realized that I had uh, in my hands a simple story and I decided to follow this simple story, adopting a simple style. We spoke to your um, your co-producer on the film, Lorenzo Miele, recently for the magazine, and he, he sort of told us that basically it was your idea to take the project to Netflix, that you thought that was going to be a good home for it. Why, why did you think Netflix was the right place for, for this project? I uh, saw Roma of Alfonso Cuaron, and uh, I saw how Netflix was uh, generous, uh, giving him uh, all uh, what he needed in order to do a small personal private movie in Mexico. And so I asked more or less the same. My idea was to do a small movie in Italian language without important actors other than Tony Servillo. But at the same time, I didn't want to do that movie as sometimes happened with few money, without uh, means and resources. And so I thought that uh, following the example of Roma of Quaron, Netflix was uh, the right uh, producer. And uh, I think that I I did well because uh, they did a big job and they are doing a a great, great effort in order to promote the movie, even if it's a a small movie. Did you speak to Alfonso about his own experiences working with Netflix or did you? I, I, I texted with him, yeah. Yeah. And how did you and Lorenzo approach Netflix? I mean, did you did you already have a connection? Had you talked to them about previous projects or was there a, did you just take the script and the budget and say, this is what we need to make the film? What was I spoke uh, once Teresa Moneo come to Rome and uh, me and Lorenzo met there and uh, I started to understand uh, and she was very excited about the idea to do a movie together. Then I went to Lib in 2000 
before the pandemic in 2019, 18, 19, I went to live in, in LA and I met uh, Scott Stuber and uh, Lisa Tabak. I, I gave the script to Teresa and Teresa O'Neill said many beautiful things about the script. She was very useful in order to improve the, the script and uh, Scott Stuber and Lisa Tabak as well. So I, I thought that uh, the excitement and involvement of them was a very good reason, uh, another good reason to make the movie with Netflix. In terms of the, because you sort of say it's a, it is a small personal story, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's told on a scale. I mean, you obviously you're using lots of great Naples locations, mm -hmm. you have, you know, you're doing a period film as well. So mm -hmm. you have to do all that as well. Was the budget kind of like similar to previous budgets you've had, or was it bigger or smaller? How was, the, how was the production? It was so bigger, it was bigger. bigger than other movies that you've done. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. significantly or like a, like a sort of. I don't know. You, you should ask to Lorenzo because I don't. I don't care yeah. too much about how much how much money I have. But uh, it was bigger and it was uh, perfect uh, because they put me in the conditions to do a period movie uh, in Naples. That's not an easy city. It's not an easy city where to to shoot a movie because it's a small city. With the sea, it's complicated to arrange full of people. So no no I had um, all what I needed I had yeah. And how did you how did you find shooting in Naples? I mean you mentioned that you were doing it at this time when the pandemic was probably on a little bit of a pause. It was the summer, so mm -hmm. you know you found the right kind of window to. Was that the only window you could have shot? Yes. You basically had to find that that was it. It kind of had to happen at a certain time. I was to shoot in Naples. It was great. It was wonderful because I went back to Naples after twenty years. After no, f f 15 years that I was living in Rome, no, it was wonderful. Naples uh, can be a wonderful city where to spend uh, time and about to spend an holiday. And this movie was shooted like an holiday. We were, were many, many times in the sea, in the beautiful places. So um, it was a wonderful holiday. Did you make any um, kind of creative allowances in terms of like when you were framing things in terms of the idea that obviously if it's going to be on Netflix, probably make people will mainly be consuming it on smaller screens or did you not think about that? No, I don't think about that, even if because I had a deal with the, with Netflix in order to bring the movie at the cinemas as well. Mm. And uh, so, no, I started to make movies 20 years ago. And I am able to do movies for the cinema. So I don't know the rules and I don't want to know the rules for the smaller screen. I think that the most important thing in, in a movie are the feelings that are able to go back and forth from the screen to the people. And this can happen in a big screen and in a small screen. So I am not so worried about um, the image. I am worried more about the feelings in the movie. Yeah. And you, of course, you know, you made two big series with HBO as well. I and, mean, you know, the young Pope and the new Pope. So you already had the, the experience of working, but oh, that was, that almost felt like it was working on a film canvas, wasn't it? In terms of like, you know, the locations and, you know, with this sort of two, the two Pope series, it was a very lavish production. Wasn't yeah. It? But even uh, also in that case, I just did the TV show like uh, a long, long movie for the cinema. Now in the houses, there are big screens, so <laughs> you can do the same. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of um, references to like uh, other Italian filmmakers in the film. Obviously, there's the Franco Zeffirelli, you know, the prank, but also there's a sort of scene where the older brother goes to audition for, uh, you know, Fellini movie. Again, was that a, was that a real experience or was that something that... Everything was real. Yeah. My brother yeah. went to do an audition with Fellini that was looking for extras in Naples. Uh, 
my neighbor uh, went to a wedding where uh, there was the Firelli and my mother did uh, the prank uh, about the Now everything was clear, yeah. And uh, my brother brought at home uh, a movie of uh, Sergio Leone. There was you for the time in America, and uh, we were eager to see that movie. But for several reasons, we didn't see the movie. Uh, and so, um, no, everything was real. The references about uh, Italian directors are real and are not uh, the result of my love for Fellini or for whoever else. I was wondering if you could tell me about the director who Fabietto goes to, you know, who encounters in the film and then goes to towards the end to sort of, I guess, kind of seek some advice about his own desires to be a filmmaker. Because that filmmaker is named Antonio Capuano, who's yeah. actually a, a real filmmaker and also you worked yeah, 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 in your career. Yeah. But, the, but the dates don't quite correspond, do they? No, the, chrono the chronological uh, way of uh, the things is something that uh, I put in a different way in order to have uh, the movie that I would love to have. Yes, of, of course, I met Capuano when I was older. I was 24, 25. But uh, it's not important the chronological way. It's not important the chronological way of my life. It's not so important. It's important the feelings and the things that happened. And it was true that Capuano is exactly, not physically, but in the way how he thinks and how he loves and how he has a relationship with the people, I think that he's exactly like that actor. Yeah, so, so yes, it's interesting because the actor looks very much like the real Capuano. I was just looking at pictures, I thought they looked quite similar to, or, yeah. or at least yeah. you kind of... Uh, yeah, 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 he looks like him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is he still someone that you keep in touch with then, Capuano? I mean, is that someone you... Yeah, yeah, we are in touch, we are good friends. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. We, we... And that was your first experience writing for the screen, right? I mean, writing... For Capuano, his, yes. Yeah, the, I, called The Dust of Naples. Yes, right? Dust yeah. of Naples. It was the third movie that he did, and he called me to co-write the movie. Yeah. yeah. So it's obviously seven years since you, you know, you had the experience of the last award season, you know, with the great beauty. It's quite a circuit, the award season, isn't it? I mean, is it something that, that you could have enjoyed back then when you were doing it for the great beauty? Did you like, do you like the kind of award season circuit or, you know, in terms of taking you around the world and getting to meet different people? Or? The adventure of the great beauty was very tiring, but was also very exciting. We were lucky because we, we won, so we were not disappointed by all the effort we did. But um, yeah, it's something that um, I love to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you've already sort of obviously done won a couple of awards at Venice and the film's been very well received. I mean, do you have very high hopes for its own journey during during the upcoming awards season? I, uh, I think that this movie des deserves to do this uh, for the future and uh, I will do that, but uh, there are many other movies that uh, are beautiful and uh, probably more beautiful than mine, so I have no hopes and I have no thoughts about that. When we spoke to Lorenzo, he mentioned that there was an idea to do a third series of The Pope the Pope is, is I don't know, not a... not now, not oh, no. now, okay. not okay. now. <laughs> is that because you don't have you don't have another story you want to tell, or is it just a? It's just a no, not now because I have no, I haven't in my mind uh, for at the moment to do TV series because they are uh, big things, uh, tiring, and so yeah, no, at the moment it's not my it's not my priority to do TV series. I would love to do other movies probably. Do you have a next project in mind? Or no, a, not, yet. not yet. Not yeah. yet. Do you want to get several projects and, and so it's, it's, it's like to have no project. And you don't have a sort of preference about whether you work in English language or 
Italian. No, I've done both. Obviously, you worked with Champagne and you worked in. You know, no, for me, it's the same. I am focused on the idea that uh, it's more important than other ideas. Then it's not important if are Italian movies or American movies. The most important thing is that I believe in the idea and uh, I am ob obsessed by the idea of the movie that I want to do. Well, Paolo, thank you very much for being thank on the you. Screen Podcast and thank the very you. best of luck with the journey of the Hand of God. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Screen Podcast as we kick off this year's award season. We'll be producing a number of podcasts throughout award season, so keep an eye out for further episodes. Until then, keep up with the latest news from the international screen industries at ScreenDaily.com and follow us as well at our social media outposts, including at ScreenDaily on Twitter. This episode was produced by Danielle Kosh. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.